Welcome to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Hello and welcome back to episode 43 of the Manx Theatre Podcast with me, Neil Callan. Thank you to everyone who's listened to our previous episodes. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome along and thanks for joining us. In this podcast, we like to try and keep you up to date with what's going on in the theatre in the Isle of Man, chatting to the cast and creators of upcoming shows to find out a little bit more about the shows and the people behind them, and also what our Manx born and bred performers are doing further afield. Coming up on this week's podcast... I'm joined by Peter Shimon, who is the Creative Development Coordinator at Kensington Arts. You can still listen to all of our previous episodes through all the usual podcast outlets and at manxradio.com forward slash podcasts. Whilst you're there, make sure to give us a like and click subscribe or follow or whatever it is you need to do to make sure you never miss an episode. In previous episodes and on our social media, I've mentioned that a large number of no denominations were received by both Centre Stage Productions for their 2021 production of Annie and 2022 production of Grease and the Douglas Choral Union for their 21 production of Shrek the Musical and 2022's Hunchback of Notre Dame. Well, between them, they had 22 nominations, with a number of them in the same categories, including two nominations for Leah Carter in the Best Leading Female in a Musical category, for playing Sandy in Greece with Centre Stage and Esmeralda with the DCU in Hunchback. Well, the awards for Noda's Northwest District 2 were held at the Imperial Hotel in Blackpool on Saturday the 4th of February, with a large contingent representing both societies travelling over for the ceremony. Sadly, there was no Lynn for Leah this time around, but they did bring back five awards between them, with Casey Crane and Jordan McCormick winning Best Supporting Male and Female in a Musical for their performances as Kanicki and Rizzo in Centre Stage's production of Greece. The DCU brought home the other three awards, with Kelly Firth winning Best Programme Design, Liz Dixon and Steve Dakin jointly winning Best Musical Director, all for The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which also won Best Staging. It's a shame that the COVID-enforced delay to Sweeney Todd meant no direct couldn't make it over to see the show, as I'm sure there would have been a few more nominations and maybe an award or two for the Manx Operatic Society too. Now, as we record this podcast, the DCU are currently mid-run of Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. I've not had a chance to see it yet, but all the reports that I've heard so far have been fantastic and prove this to be a show that's not to be missed. Coming up in the next couple of episodes, we'll be catching up with Kate Cowley and Phil Bird from the Manx Operatic Society's upcoming production of Annie Get Your Gun, and also a few of the girls taking on the lead roles in St Ninian's High School's production of Six at the end of March, which tells the story of the wives of King Henry VIII. Make sure you keep up to date with what's going on between episodes by following Manx Theatre Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and at Manx Theatre Pod on Twitter. Okay, down to business. I'm joined on the podcast today by Peter Shimon, who is the Creative Development Coordinator at Kensington Arts and a well-known performer in his own rights. Peter? Welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. <laughs> so, Peter, you are the, well, as I said, it's the Creative Development Coordinator at Kensington Arts. Tell me, what does that entail and, and what, what, well, what is Kensington Arts to begin with? It sounds like a fancy title, doesn't it? <laughs> N- not, not as fancy as I am, I can tell you. <laughs> um, so Kensington Arts is, uh, used to be the Youth Arts Centre previously. Before then, it was Douglas Youth Club. It was the Douglas School of Art back in the day. So people know it by many different names. And I've taken over managing the centre, basically. We are a venue owned by the Culture Division of the Department of Education, Sport and Culture, which basically means that we're linked to education, but we're also linked to the Art, the Alman Arts Council and the Villa Gaiety as uh-huh. well. Um, so we're kind of like a smaller version, baby gaiety, as yeah. I like to call it. And it is an opportunity predominantly for young people to develop their skills in all different artistic disciplines. So art, music, dance, theatre, backstage, creative writing. We do a little bit of everything at Kensington. It's always historically been 
focused on the education side for young people. With me coming into this role in the last 12 months or so, I've been looking at trying to expand that into the wider community. So we're starting to introduce more activities for people after school age as Uh well. We've got a community choir that's for all ages. The rock music project Soundcheck is also based at Kensington Arts, and that now has an 18-plus contingent as well. So I'm slowly but surely starting to create this kind of new community hub for the arts. uh, Rather than just being purely a youth organisation. Yeah, and obviously there's nothing wrong with being youth-focused. It's great that we have so much opportunity for young people um, to get involved in things, as much as... They don't seem to think that there's anything out there for them. <laughs> if you come down to Kensington Arts on any given day of the week, there's always tons of stuff uh, come yeah, happening. But um, yeah, it's also then nice to look at what we can do for the rest of the community as well. So that's things like making partnerships with charities. We have um, the Alzheimer's Society and Manx Care using it for various activities. Right. And some of the societies come and use the venue for their rehearsals and yes. things like that as well. So I'm um, really proud of what I've done so far. And I think we've just got to go onwards and upwards with it. Brilliant. So to your role then, what's the main sort of tasks of your role? Yeah, so I would say that I'm kind of the... I've become like the brand ambassador for the, for the venue. So I go and do things like this. I talk about the venue and what we do. I do all of the marketing side of things to promote the activities that are available at the centre. Previously, I did a bit of the drama teaching myself. Uh I did the assistant director job for the National Theatre Connections show last year, which is managed by David Dawson. So my job now is kind of managing the team of arts staff that we have. got about 30 casual arts professionals Mm -hmm. that run various different clubs. So kind of making sure everyone's in at the right place at the right time and all those things. It's a big logistical thing for me and then yeah kind of the management of the venue itself so I'm also the person who's buying all the toilet paper to make sure (laughs) that we can flush the toilets properly and all those things so it's it's an all-encompassing job but I think my my background has mainly been operational in previous roles that I've done I've done logistics management and operations Mm -hmm. I've worked in customer service so I'm also the the voice when you answer the phone is me and I tend to know what's happening and what the questions might be Um, and then from the marketing side I worked in marketing for a couple of years so trying to grow the brand as it were so yeah it's a varied role which I really enjoy a role with many hats it is yeah spinning plates you could say brilliant so actually uh, last year as well as part of the Alman Awards of Excellence Kensington Arts got the Diversity Champion Award yes it was really great the venue itself has always been I think a safe space for Some of those people who may be from minority communities or have felt like they didn't fit in at times. You know, I myself went to the Youth Arts Centre, as was back in the day, and did Manx National Youth Theatre. Yeah. And it was kind of an eclectic mix of people of different ages, different backgrounds, people with disabilities, things like that. And Fiona Heller, who was my um, predecessor, was a big thing for her to make sure that everyone was included and yeah. inclusivity being really important and I wanted to carry that through when I came into the role I'm a queer person myself we have a lot of members of staff who are part of the queer community yeah um, and we did a lot of work last year in that kind of space we collaborated with Manx National Heritage yeah. on an exhibition uh, we held a queer artisan market for LGBT history month so I kind of started doing a bit of work in that space always linked to the arts in yeah. some way and then when the opportunity came around to go for the awards for excellence, it was it was good to kind of represent the centre or put it out there into the, into the world that the, the centre is a place for everyone and where yeah. everyone can be accepted. So it was really lovely for that to be acknowledged. Yeah, it was fantastic. Also as well, I've noticed that recently you've become one of the Future Arts Centres. Yes, we um, recently have become a member of Future Arts Centres, which is it's relatively new, the last kind of five years or so yeah. of 
I want to say the creme de la creme of <laughs> art centres, but it's people who kind of, or art centres across the UK that kind of share our vision yeah. of becoming community hubs. Mm-hmm. So we've got some really lovely kind of, what's the word, people in our cohort. Yeah, I've recently been to Huddersfield, to the Lawrence Batley Theatre, and they're on there. Some of the art centres in London and, and across different places. Not maybe with the massive ones that yeah. everyone has heard of, the ones who are kind of up and coming. That was something that we wanted to kind of try and hang our hat on yeah. that, you know, there is a bit of credibility happening yeah. to what we're doing. Um, and I think that's that started to go that way as well. It sounds like it's a, a great sort of community type, type thing. So, I mean, obviously there's, there's the working in your local community, but actually sort of creating a, a wider community that you can sort of, you can feed off each other and you can talk to each other about the problems that you've had and maybe how you've you've worked around those and developed things within your own areas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we have a programme at the um, Senate called Connections, National Theatre Connections, but that as a term, connecting to people, is a really core part of anything related to creative arts. You know, when yeah. you rehearse for a play you're connecting with different people when you create music you're connecting with them and i think that those connections that we can form with different art centers hopefully it's just going to make my job a lot easier you know i'm a firm i'm a firm believer in not reinventing the wheel if i find that you know (laughs) yeah if i find that there's an art center who's trying to do the same sort of thing as we are and some of the tactics they've used and find out what successes they've had see if i can replicate some of those ideas or kind of ideate on them and and create new opportunities um i think is a really great resource to have so yeah i think it's it's early in the journey but there's a few things lined up that i think will help to build that kind of reputation element for us great now you touched there on the uh, national theater connections Mm. i believe there's a couple of performances coming up for this year yeah so we will have our home performances for the new national theater connections show so for those who don't know what national theater connections is every year the national theater commissions new playwrights across the uk to write plays for young people so we have Innocent Creatures by Leo Butler. We are performing on the 17th and 18th of March before we then go to perform it at the York Theatre Royal in York. Well, that's that's a, a, ni- a nicer trip than... To, We've had previously, your, yes. Rather than the, the trip to Inverness a few yes. years ago. <laughs> yes, and luckily when I, when I was the assistant director last year, we went to York as well. Yes. So... It's quite nice for me that we've got effectively the same journey 12 months later and we've made a nice connection with the with the staff at York. And last year's group, which were a really wonderful bunch of kids, also were chosen to go to London yes. and perform at the National Theatre, which wow. is kind of the... It's not a competition. The festival itself isn't about being the best of the best. Yeah. But these 10 shows at the National Theatre Commissions, they perform one of each show in London and ours was chosen to be the representative for, for Hunt by, right. by Finn Kennedy. So what an opportunity for these kids to have done a show on the Isle of Man, a show in York, and then take it to the National Theatre stage. Brilliant. And what a thing for me in the first year of the job yeah. <laughs> to have to have had that success. And it's kind of built on the work that Dave Dawson's been doing for the for the last few years on the programme, which is great. Got to take a business trip to York and to London. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> it's been amazing. Well, actually, it was a lot of, you know, it's, it's well, also, yeah. <laughs> you know, looking after the kids getting on the tube. So I had <laughs> elements of stress throughout right, that entire, <laughs> yes. Um, but it was, yeah, a wonderful experience. So I, I I don't know if we'll be chosen for London again two years on the bounce. But um, regardless, it's a fantastic opportunity for young people to get involved in new creative contemporary writing. This one's quite a dystopian, futuristic type Ooh. vibe uh, thing. If people are into the sci yeah. type stuff so yeah really excited for that show which is on in march brilliant and with the national theater connections as well when they go away whether it's to york or whether to london there's there's lots of uh, workshops and things around isn't it rather than just just they're there for their performance but yeah it varies from um, partner theater festival to partner theater festival so there's been previous times where you go away for a week and you have 
you know five days worth of workshops as well as doing your home performance and sometimes you just go over and you do your show and you have a workshop in the afternoon and then you watch another show so it can it can vary but yeah. i think the format works really well that the young people are getting the opportunity to stage their play in a new venue they're getting to watch other youth theaters performing in that venue but also that they collaborate with theater professionals that the national theater have, have connected with yeah and um they do a kind of master class in you know improvisation or physical comedy or physical movement various different things and um, which will just enhance their skills and yeah. yet it's all well and us well and good us doing the same type of drama workshops when you hear it from someone else yes you know yeah, yeah. Uh, that maybe they have a bit more respect for than they do than me exactly um, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think it works it works really well and also they get the opportunity to meet the other kids that have been doing the shows in different parts of the uk so when we did hunt last year there was another group that did hunt was performing on the same i think in the same festival yeah. so they were able to meet other young actors that played the same character as them oh, wow. and talk about how they both approached it in different ways so it was just lovely to see those again inverted commas the connections yeah. being built between these young people i mean it's not an opportunity that i had as much when i was younger so i think it's great and of course these days as well i mean like you know, when we were kids you get to go away and you think and you meet other people and different things but nowadays with social media it must be so much easier for those kids to stay in touch with these kids yeah. that they meet and i remember listening to something the other day and lisa kreisky was talking about when she won young actor of man mm. although it wasn't called young actor of man back in those days it was the Isle of man bank drama scholarship oh there you go yeah and she went away on the course yeah you do like a summer school yeah, like, a summer thing, school, like a week-long summer school yeah and she met a girl on that and she became firm friends and like two years later she goes off to drama school and that same girl is on the same yeah. course as her so it was yeah it's lovely isn't yeah. it and yeah, it is, it is i suppose in ways a lot easier for the for the kids to keep in touch like when we were there at the national all the kids when they met each other were all exchanging their snapchat <laughs> usernames and stuff and you're yeah. thinking, okay um, <laughs> it's very it's very nice and yeah it's i'm also part of that kind of my generation i think also when the facebook thing started happening yeah. um when you became friends with someone on facebook you're just connected to them for life basically yeah. so the people that i met once doing a show i lived in barcelona for a while and i did a show i met various people then and i did a show with someone once that i'm still connected to on facebook so every yeah. now and again i get these posts from barcelona and it just reminds you of that time in your yeah. life i've got oh i wouldn't like to say how many people i've got on on facebook but mm. but you know there are there are people that you'll you'll do a show with and you'll rehearse with them for you know three, four, five mm. months so over a winter or over, over a summer yeah. period. So you become really good friends with them, but then they don't do a show for a couple of years, or you don't do a show for a couple of years, and then you don't see them again. It's like, touch, yeah. and they're still there in your your friends list. Yeah. So uh, today um, it's the birthday of one of my friends who was in a show that I did back in two thousand and four. Oh, <laughs> it's nice! Like, it's like Owen, happy birthday, Owen! <laughs> happy birthday to you! Yeah, and he yeah he played Brad in uh, in uh, Rocky in the Rocky Horror nice. Show, yeah. So it's yeah, you still keep in touch every now and then. Yeah, it's, it's good. And he's still working down in London in the business as well. Yeah, which is great. there you go. So, aside from the theatre connections, mm. what other productions have you got coming up over the next few months? We got busy year, you know. Yeah. Um, we're we're really um, pushing ourselves back into the musical theatre space as well. So we are doing first is everybody's talking about Jamie oh, Teen Edition. It. Love it. Um, so it's relatively recently um, released in the UK, across the UK for school venues um, or 
young youth arts venues to do everybody's talking about jamie based on well originally based on the documentary about the teenage drag queen that then became a successful stage musical yes um so they've done a bit of you know the typical sort of changing some of the language changing some of the music to make it more appropriate for a teenage <laughs> audience but obviously yeah. the the theme uh, is still very much the same yeah and it's just it's, it's a really lovely show the music from it is incredible uh, it the is. characters are great the costumes are going to be great and it aligns we were talking more earlier about the diversity champion award it's in the queer community yes. it's a really good kind of message to put across that aligns really well with the type of people that use our venue mm-hmm. or that we're trying to connect with so jamie is on we're doing kind of some auditions in the next month or so and then we're doing an intensive rehearsal period in uh, the Easter holidays, which right. is April, to then rehearse Monday to Friday, one week, Monday to Friday, the next week, and be performing it at the end of that week as well. Wow. So that intensive two-week musical theatre rehearsals. I've done it previously. It's quite a stressful time. Yeah. Um, but as long as you know you learn your harmonies beforehand, then I think we'll be okay. Yeah, well, after, after that performance myself in the past, certainly with the back in the, the day of the, of the Dick Ray summer mm, seasons, yes, and yeah. you'd, it was quite you'd, like, you'd have two or three weeks learning one show, and whilst that show is on in the day, you're rehearsing the show that's following on the two yeah, weeks after yeah, exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, like old-school rap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny how quickly you get into that habit of you know learning a show in two mm. weeks. But I guess it's that... I mean, if you think about how many hours we probably do over four or five months a couple yeah. of nights a week it's yeah. probably probably not far off the same as as doing you know a 12 14 hour day for for two whole weeks yeah 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. and with the bonus the added bonus of the fact that you haven't got a week in between to forget the dance routine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or my yourself <laughs> i've never forgot a choreography routine um no you're 100 percent right yeah so i think that's gonna be a really great experience um for the teenage kids yeah and then uh in the summer for our sins, we are doing Disney's Frozen Junior, the Ooh. musical. I say for my sins just because obviously it's a great opportunity to get lots of kids in. You know, Disney uh, is a big pull yep. and Frozen, the musical, is again, it's a, it's a newer production. It's only recently been released. Every little girl across the across the island wants to be Elsa, you yeah. know, or Anna. She's more Anna than Elsa, I think, yeah. at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely play. It's one of those kind of condensed into a 60-minute one-act Right. Uh, thing which some companies have done before at the gaiety so we're dipping our toe into that kind of space it's, uh-huh. it's being it's being modern and doing a contemporary yeah. musical but it's catered also for the the younger side so you've got kind of starts at age eight uh-huh. and goes up to 18 so i'll have the full range um of kids playing the different parts so it's going to be i think it's going to be a exciting show i'm trying yeah. to use the right i'm trying to think about the right words i'm thinking about the fact that it's you know icy and christmas themed and we're yeah. doing it in summer um, <laughs> But I think that that's going to work quite well. And uh, yeah, a great opportunity for, for young people to show off their skills. Brilliant. And with any luck, it will coincide with uh, Sam's uh, summer holiday. She'll be able to pop home oh, and yes. pop in. That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Better to do a ribbon cutting for us yeah. if you're available, Samantha Barnes. We'd love to hear from you. Anything else that you've got coming up? Well, theatre-wise, well, we have regular drama clubs. So we have Drop-In Drama, which rehearses every Thursday. It's like a just come along and get involved in drama that's for the age eight upwards yeah their type of group um and means that kids you know that were like me when you were in primary school and early secondary school that really want to kind of start to dip their toe into the world of acting yeah uh, it's very like free casual dropping club where you just come and play lots of drama games which yeah. you know who doesn't love but for the more serious ones we've recently been doing drama school preparation which yes. is on a thursday uh, for those young people 
don't want to say kids because they're, you know, the yeah. older teenagers, um, that are wanting to go to drama school, you know, when I was 17, 18, and I was convinced that I was going to be a famous actor and everything was all <laughs> going to go my way. Yeah, we've yes. all been there. Yeah. But how do you do that? You know, what kind of guidance do you need in order to try and get into drama school? So I've got a wonderful member of staff called Louise Beckett, who was previously a lecturer at Arts Ed and at Central School of Speech and Drama. Oh, wow. So very good credentials. Yeah. It's bringing her kind of wealth of experience, mainly in kind of voice and acting to help people with their monologues, develop their body body and voice skills and then through the drama school application process you know at the moment it's a lot of uploading self-tapes which yes. is relatively new to to a lot of us so kind of helping with that element of things mm-hmm. and, and we've got a few a few young people who have got into drama school and some that are waiting to hear back so um that's been a really good one from my side of things to hopefully in a way plug into the education side of things yeah. because when you are 17, 18, 19 and needing to choose your options about what you're going to do at university, it can be quite confusing if you just went to your, you know, high school advisor to yeah. say, I want to go to, you know, RADA. Yeah. How how do you know that? You yeah. Know, what, who knows exactly how to do that? And, and no one does. But I think it's good to get some advice from people that have worked in the industry mm. and hopefully just yeah give some support to those people that are looking at taking it on really seriously. And I think I think the island has done very well in that aspect over the last sort of 10, 15 years oh, yeah. anyway, because with with some of the professional directors that we've we've had through the Microsoft Operatic Society and the Douglas Choral Union, mm. and musical directors as well, professional yes. musical directors coming in, they've they've been able to give these kids coming up some some great guidance and some some instruction and also just pushing them in the right direction as well. A hundred percent, and you know it's it's. I think that that kind of thing was really starting to take off in in the time that I was at school. There were some really good success stories just mm. before I tried to go to drama school. And then in the five, ten years since I've left, we've had loads of people go to arts ed. Yeah. Or people going to do the one-year musical theatre courses yes. and then seeing some good success. You know, you've spoken to a few of them on your, on your podcast yourself. It's great to see Manxies, mm. you know having success in other parts obviously if you want to go to drama school the very small majority of people have that level of success so we're incredibly lucky that as an island we have quite a few people that we can point to yeah and that kind of says enough about the experience that you can build on the isle of man whether it's in the amateur societies whether it's in school where they champion performing arts it does mean that the caliber of young performers is really strong means that there's a lot of young performers that really want to go and do it yeah and at times you want to say you know just you know if you're quite academic maybe think about some of the stuff that you could do yeah because i remember when i went to drop when i went to do my acting course the first thing they said when we came in was if there's anything else you can do do that yeah don't be here unless this is the only thing that you can do and i just kind of sat there 18 a bit naive thinking well yeah i'm definitely gonna be an actor yeah and i was also like but i could probably do some other stuff as well yeah so i'm not too sure so it's, it's about giving kids the opportunity to explore all of the options right and i think the isle of man theater scene does a lot for supporting young people with those interests. Yeah. So you, uh, you just saying that you took when you went away, you did a BA honours in acting at uh, Arts University in Bournemouth. I was, yeah. A lovely place. The world. It's a place I, I know very well nowadays. I've got a, I've got family down in Bournemouth, so it's it's a lovely place down there. It's lovely. Yeah. I've just found that TikTok. I've just found out oh, they right. have a TikTok account, and there was um, I just searched um, Arts University Bournemouth acting degree, and it's all the ones who are currently on the course doing through like a day in their life on yeah. TikTok, which is lovely to see. It was a really great venue. I was happy to do a university experience. Um, I auditioned for a load of the London drama schools and had some recalls and didn't get all the way through. But I remember, I think at one of the central auditions, they were saying to me, you know, if you're on the acting course, you're going to be up at seven o'clock in the morning doing cardio. And I was thinking, oh, God, I'm 
sure that I actually <laughs> want to be doing you. that when I could be, you know, going to freshers parties. <laughs> um, so I think I, I definitely leaned on that side of um, wanting to get the university experience. But yeah. AUB was really good that it was a creative arts university. So everyone who was on a course was in a creative arts. I lived with a fashion designer, costume designer, arts and events management, graphic design, animation. Yeah. And then I was the less creative one doing acting (laughs) and uh, it was really great to still have that university experience living in halls having a proper freshers week drinking too much and then going (laughs) to a like uh, movement class in the morning it was it was really good it's not to say that you don't have that experience in drama school but it's very full-on in drama school and I still got you know full-time training while still making those connections with I think what I really enjoyed was making connections with people that weren't actors. Yeah. Because it can be quite intensive, as we all know, in a rehearsal period, you know? If I had to then be at rehearsal with people all day on my acting course... Emoting. Yes. (laughs) Always emoting or over-emoting. Yes. And then live with them. I I would have struggled. It gets a bit tense at times, imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think they they kept me grounded. I think the people that I I worked and lived with at uni. So, yeah, had a really great experience at Bournemouth, and it's a beautiful... Is that a town or a city? I think it's a city. Yeah, we'll go with the city. Yeah, great yeah. beach. I mean, that, yes, great beach, yes. And the, the beach shots are marvellous as well. Yes. That's another conversation for mm-hmm. the day. But also, um, you know, all those different people, though, that, that you were living with, that's basically everyone you need to put on a show, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was what they were really big on with the course. Um, if anyone does want to check out Art University Bournemouth's acting course, the great thing was that they also pulled together the makeup course and the costume design. I did a unit on film because there was a film course. So when I needed to get my show reel together to go out for my spotlight and do auditions, I just did several short films because they needed actors to do their film assessments. And we wanted experience doing short films. So you could put all of that stuff together. Brilliant. That meant, yeah, you definitely had the connections that you needed. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's that's, that's perfect. Then each each of the courses have have their own sort of on tap requirements yeah that's great yeah yeah fantastic um so you you also touched briefly there before that you've you worked a little bit professionally after afterwards and you you were off in barcelona for a while yeah i did uh, my first job out of my acting degree was about a year doing theater and education in barcelona so i well i lived in barcelona and i worked for a touring theater company that would go mainly into schools and do um, shows for the primary school kids to help their English skills. Yeah. So I think I learned six or seven uh, two-hander shows. There would be things like Jack and the Beanstalk or Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella. Very fairly simplistic language because you know they're, they're primary yeah. school age children learning a, a second language, but very engaging and you know high energy and yes. bringing kids up on stage. So panto elements to it. Yeah. And um, I did that for yeah about nine months, living in Barcelona but driving to various different parts of catalonia in spain i did a tour in madrid for a for a week i went up to the basque country and i go to anywhere within a three-hour driving radius of barcelona right. we'd be there at the school at 7 a.m in the morning so sounds, sounds horrendous it was tell you what, i then did a theater and education tour in the uk and that made me look back on barcelona very fondly because they had a far more kind of laissez-faire attitude to things uh, than when you're in the UK, which is a lot stricter. In the Huddersfield in the rain. Yes, yeah, so also very sad, you know, kind of eating a sandwich in the van in, in um, somewhere outside of Wales versus in Spain, they have the, what is it, in the middle of the day, they take their siesta. Siesta, yeah. So you'd have a show in the morning, you'd drive to somewhere else, and then you'd have sort of time for a three-course meal <laughs> in between doing your next performance, yeah. sometimes with a bit of wine. And uh, <laughs> you just would have a really great time with it. Um, and yeah, so I think now, at the time, I was 
quite scared because I was fresh out of drama school and I didn't know what I was doing. But after doing the, t- the tour in the UK, I was like, oh yeah, I had it quite good in the sun in Barcelona yeah. for nine months. It was great. So what was it that, that brought you back to the island? Yeah, so I'd I'd done the Barcelona thing, I'd done a bit of touring in the UK, and then I lived in London for about five years. And the inevitable thing when you're trying to be an actor in London is that you have to find other jobs in order to support yourself. So I kind of took the acting thing into a more amateur place and I did I joined amateur societies in London in order to kind of mm-hmm. keep up my skills and do shows that I enjoyed and then did I did you do some directing as well with it I directed as yeah, well yeah. I directed a musical how to succeed in business without really trying mm-hmm. um, and dogfight the musical by Pasek and Paul yes um, so two great the shows. same guys that wrote uh, Dear Evan Hansen Dear Evan Hansen and yeah. The Greatest Showman yeah 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 so I, I got that experience. I got what I loved about theatre from the Amateur Theatre Society called CEDOS, the Stock Exchange Dramatic Operatic Society. Right, yeah. um, and they do really high quality shows in an off West End venue. So I was getting my kind of creative fulfilment from that. Yeah. In terms of paying the bills, I needed the job jobs <laughs> yeah. that you know, they paid. So I was in marketing or customer service and logistics, things like that. And um, I remember it was... January, February 2020, I bounced around jobs a couple of times trying to find something that suited. And uh, I got made redundant from a marketing job for a hotel chain. I was working for a hotel chain and they had a big expansion and then they got too big and they needed to cut a load of people. So I got put into redundancy and had a crisis of conscience and started (laughs) seeing a therapist and was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life anymore. Why am I here? What do I want? And it was, it, this was February 2020, so you right. kind of know what's coming up yes. in the next month or two. So I very much sort of said, you know, what, what are your actual goals in life? What do you want to see yourself doing? And I knew, for me, I definitely wanted to move back to the island. It's, mm-hmm. it's somewhere that I've always felt very strongly connected to. Yeah. Uh, I am Manx-born. I was very involved in the theatre scene over here. My family is very involved in things over here. So I always had a really strong connection to the island. So for me, it was always a case of when not if i return home you yeah know? if i was gonna raise a family buy a house things like that i was gonna want to do it in the isle of man so when i started talking to my therapist which i always recommend uh, <laughs> find a therapist particularly if you're in the creative arts and <laughs> we need it she just tried to you know tell me what what is it that you're actually trying to get out of life and where do you think you're going to find that fulfillment and through various talking therapies i found that the isle of man was in a way calling me back mm-hmm. and then pandemic happened or pandemic was starting to happen the news was kind of coming out about the various not the lockdowns at that point i think was when the cruise ships were happening at the very start of it i remember kind of not being sure about whether to come home or not and my cousin chloe shimon uh, who you've spoken to before she was looking at potentially going home as well because she lived in london and i spoke to my dad on the phone i was like oh i don't know if i should do this or i'd found a temporary job so i was like maybe i just need to kind of see what happens and he was like it's up to you son you know you do what you do what you want to do he's very much you know it's always your decision but then he was a bit like but if i were you i would probably come home (laughs) and i'm I'm thinking okay yeah there's something in that probably so me and chloe uh drove back home and got the boat and we landed in the isle of man i think it was the day that they implemented the closure of the borders right okay or the one where you know you had to do the two-week isolation no matter what type of thing so we got in right at the right time and you know i could kind of thought it was going to be temporary or not i was kind of see what happens and just feel safe a few weeks you know (laughs) and then i just i did my mental health really improved you know being near to my family being near to my friends that are over here yeah um i love all of my friends who are in london and in the uk as well but there was something about coming home and feeling that sense of safety and security particularly because for a long time the Isle of Man did a lot better than the UK on the Covid side of things Um, and the proximity to the sea as well has a a lot to it's a calming effect isn't it you know I can see the sea from where we are now in the studio and it is really really nice to be 
back home yeah. type of thing. So I think those kind of things settled for me over time. And I still was, I was working remotely for a company in London, but when the job came up at Kensington, I was thinking that's a bit of an alignment of yeah. everything I could possibly want. So yeah. yeah, by that point I'd been pretty fixed on staying and then was lucky enough to be able to buy a house and stay. And then I was like, okay, well my mum's definitely going to be happy. It seems like I'm here <laughs> yeah. for good. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of, an, I hate the word organic, but it's kind of an organic process yeah. that happened. And um, I've been really, really happy since. It's funny how you were saying about, you know, there's there's always that kind of attraction to come back to that. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I grew up in, in St. John's and in Peel, and the the, the vicar at the uh, the Methodist church in Peel, he always said that the Isle of Man has this kind of bungee effect. Mm. Everyone at some point wants to leave, yeah. but you get you only get so far, and at some point that bungee cord starts to pull back. Mm. And I know with a lot of people, it tends to be, you know, they'll go away for, for university and they'll go yeah. away to work, but after a while, there's that kind of thoughts of, I want to start a family. I want to settle down, and it's that's when the, the cord starts to pull back in and yeah. brings people back home again. Yeah, and there's yeah, some people would find that horrific, and some people would find that yeah. lovely, you know. And I've got friends who have, have grew up in the Isle of Man and have now left and gone over to the UK, and will always stay in the UK now. And there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that, of course. But I think yeah, there's something in the Isle of Man that does have that draw. And for me, a big part of it is the theatre scene and the creative arts that we have over here. I had a level of fulfilment of it in London. But I tell you what, like a lot of the London societies don't have the kind of budgets <laughs> that we no. have in the Alaman. You know, when you've got a theatre like all, we all have, all the theatres, yeah, yeah, like you, you, it ha- you have to put on shows at that theatre that kind of honour mm. the the venue itself. And when we were in a kind of small studio theatre in London, yeah. it wasn't quite the same. You didn't yeah. have the same t- amount of time and the same amount of budget all the time to do it. So um, that's by no means the the reason is because I wanted bigger, flashier productions. Yeah. But there's something about kind of that feeling of coming home to a place where I kind of felt more settled in knowing what the theatre scene kind of worked like. Yeah. Whereas in London, you know, oh, you're a small fish in a big pond. You yeah. know, there's hundreds of thousands of boys that look like me that think they want to be actors are in London. So, yeah. you know, why not return home instead? Yeah. So that- do it, young people. <laughs> we need that- you. Yeah. You're listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast with Neil Cullen. How did you how did you get started in the first place? What was it that first sort of drew you to the stage? I remember, shout out to Johanna Downing Green, who is on stage in Young Frankenstein at the moment. Uh, she said she was going to go to a drama club that was on in year four. We went to Balaclone, Balaclone and Fairfield. It would have been in Fairfield. Yeah. And uh, one of the teachers has started up an after school drama club. And she said, do you want to come with me? Because we were friends. And I was like, mm, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And loved it from there. Did the drama club every week for all the years I was at primary school. And then I went to Balakamine, which obviously is very... Uh, had always been very performing art focused yeah and as a natural progression just got more involved in the theater shows but i suppose i was always a uh my parents would say a bit precocious in terms of my um <laughs> my uh my star was always wanting to shine i suppose um yeah i was i was always quite confident um a good speaker just a question are you the youngest i am the youngest there yeah, you go. Funny that. i'm the youngest of four as well yeah it's funny how that happens it's amazing how many of us are the youngest actually <laughs> mm. um so i definitely found that it was somewhere where I felt comfortable being on stage and yeah, just kind of grew from there. And Balakameen was a great place for nurturing, uh, nurturing that kind of, if I want to say innate talent, but it's probably <laughs> just, you know, yeah. those kids that want to show off. So who was it? Was it Adrian Burnett or, or Chris Mabry that was? Yeah, I, um, I would have had Chris for uh, most of my drama classes. Yeah. And obviously I, I interacted with Adrienne quite a lot as I kind of did more and more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in all the school shows and then I joined 
my international youth theatre with Fiona. I joined Theatrics with Susanna Hodgson, uh, Susanna Maybury, as yeah. it is now. And um, I also then did DCU. I did Jackie and Sonia. I did um, Stage One yep. Drama. I did anything and everything you could. Whereas <laughs> my brother went down the sports route, I went down all of the drama route and did all of the drama. <laughs> And then, yeah, just continued it. So I think I was very grateful to my parents for supporting that. And I think they saw something in me that just came natural and that I felt comfortable and that I found my clique and my people. And, I, you know, I'd spend all the evenings in my room burning musical theatre CDs, <laughs> as we used to have to do to download yes. music and then burn it onto your own CD. You know, that was my vibe. You yeah. Know? Um, so, yeah, always loved it. No, I, I have a, a memory back to a Balakameen show. And I think it was probably a couple of years after we did it with the Manx Operatic Society, but there was a production of Return to the Forbidden Planet. Yes. And you were the were you the, the doctor? I was Dr. Prospero. Dr. Yeah. Prospero, yes. My last show, yeah. Yes. It was great. The last one was it? It was my yeah, it was my year thirteen show, yeah. Wow. I seem to remember a, a sort of a, a a brilliant little sort of stick on goatee or something that stick you on goatee with. and like mad scientist hair yeah. um that i threw talc into <laughs> like um i had to look like i'd sort of you know been awakened from a dusty sleep and i just would dump like an entire bottle of talcum powder onto my head and do the monster mash and shake it everywhere and i remember yeah. being on the raised balcony for the finale and it was the last night and i had poured the entire tub <laughs> of, of talcum powder on my hair well you don't need it anymore well yeah and i was like go out with a bang and um i sort of threw my head down and all of the talcum powder just went everywhere across the stage <laughs> and then it went into my eyes and my contact lenses i then had to like go down the stairs go back on stage for the final dance yeah. with johanna yeah and uh she had to kind of guide me because i couldn't see because <laughs> all this talcum powder was in my face and all over the floor of the stage it was it was fantastic oh. it was a way to go out and then they did a nice little speech about my last show and i was just there saying i'm not crying it's just the talcum powder in my <laughs> eye <laughs> So was was well, obviously that wasn't your your first show first role. What was it, what was the first role that you ever played? I would say, I mean, for a lot of us, it would be nativity type of things in school, wouldn't it? So I'm pretty sure I was robbed of the role of Joseph <laughs> um, in the nativity, and I played the innkeeper uh-huh. with the tea towel on my head. Pivotal role, though. Pivotal yeah, very role. important. You know, yeah, wouldn't yeah. have happened. You know, if it were, well, I mean, he would have been born, but yeah, you know, he would have been in the barn. But I think the the one that comes to mind for me in terms of kind of seminal first performance was probably uh, I played Fat Sam in Bugsy Malone yeah. uh, with theatrics. Mm-hmm. And I remember Bugsy Malone, fantastic show, you know, your kids and you're doing like cream pies and splurge guns. And, was that with like, Alex Maxwell? Uh, no, this was no. this was like an OG performance. Oh, so right, it was okay. it was me with um, Lorcan O'Mahony. Oh, right. Um, was Bugsy and uh, Matthew Mc... Oh, no. Was, yeah, Lorcan was Bugsy, I think. And Matthew McBriar was in it. As oh, right, well. yes. yes. Um, and I remember Lorcan driving the pedal car yeah. that we had down that rake of the gaiety stage going down uh, towards the orchestra pit. <laughs> and I, I think I must have been like 12, 13 or something. And I'm going, ah, ah, screaming, just yeah. seeing my life flash before my eyes. And, <laughs> Lorcan's, <ski> jump. <laughs> and Lorcan's just loving life. So, yeah, so that, that springs to mind, yeah. Um, what about when you sort of moved on to, to the DCU? What were the sort of the, the bigger roles that you did there? Bigger roles, uh, DC. Well, I was in the um, Les Mis in two thousand and nine. Um, the the first time it was done on the island yeah. um, was fantastic. I was one of the students. Um, I was one of the students that gave one of the fake prop guns to, oh. <laughs> which you know is very exciting when you're about sixteen. <laughs> um, and on the barricade with the turntable and all oh, of that yeah. stuff, it was oh, what a what a show! Incredible show. I think my first show with them was Annie in two thousand eight, I believe. Where I was one of the I was in the ensemble, and I think I was the dog catcher and i had to throw this dog into a cage and got a little like boo from the audience yeah. for it um 
favorite role um and i'm sure you can ask me about my favorite role but i think has to be um when i did lefou yeah in beauty and the beast great i was with alex tui yes as gaston and i had i had the song gaston and I, it was perfect you know i was this small little small little guy with the proper costume uh, of lefou with the like blackened teeth that yeah. he has with that ink that they put on you and um i just had a whale of a time it was my first kind of principal role in a wonderful disney for disney musical and yeah perfect part for me so it yeah was, it was a great show and mm. you know, it's, it's good fun working with alex too as well sometimes. oh yeah it's a great guy he's very mischievous <laughs> but someone's gonna get you in trouble be alex mm. <laughs> yes i gave as good as i got yeah i, I get a feeling that's probably the kind of show where things might have gone wrong at times so what's what's the what's the funniest thing or, or the 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 strangest thing that's gone wrong on stage that you might have sort of been able to to cover up and hopefully the audience hasn't noticed well i i i, I think that the the more observant will have noticed <laughs> and i'm forever kind of traumatized by it happening uh, but it was in les mis and uh, it was when spoiler let everyone dies and um it was in the turntable scene where the students are dying it was like the final battle and they all get shot and die and i'm kind of collapsing onto a table yeah. in slow motion and um, there's a bottle of wine on the table that as I kind of lean onto it, my head knocks the <laughs> bottle of wine onto the floor oh. and it starts rolling down towards the orchestra pit. <laughs> so bearing in mind, it's this really like, that's Star Wars, isn't it? But it's that kind of like really strong music and everyone's doing their slow motion kind of dying and you just hear, yeah, that's it. Very everyone's, subtle difference. <laughs> yes. But everyone's all slow motion and emotional and yeah. the audience are weeping at all these deaths and there's just this in real time bottle of wine just <laughs> rolling down the down the lip of the stage and uh I don't think that it hit the drummer in the head, but it, it might have. Good close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a, I have a similar story to that from um, from when I did chess the first time around with oh, Lang's yeah. Operatic Society. And close to the end of the show this is when Anatoly has gone over to the Americans and he's playing the new Russian champion. Mm. And Ian Openshaw was the was the new Russian champion. Yeah. And he had to sort of at the end stand up and just knock over his king. That's all he had to do to sort of con- to concede the game. But Ian, one of the knights, got a little bit too handy with his yeah. thing and swept half the pieces off the off the, the, the <laughs> off the, <laughs> no. off, the uh, off the board. And dramatic of, effect. That's yeah, dramatic case. effect. Yeah. But one of the pieces. We had a raised roster at the back, and there was a central staircase. So one of these pieces came off the table, and went yeah down every step, and rolled around yes. to my feet. And I could hear it going <laughs> like, but thankfully it was just a point in the music where it was launching straight into a big like ah, yeah. So if it had been a quiet piece, I'd have been gone. Yeah. I'd have been in tears. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just yeah, I remember collapsing onto that table and just sort of slowly shaking at the realization that I've ruined one of these pivotal moments of tragedy with this sad bottle of wine. In it's real not time. as if you can sort of try and grab it and pick it up. No, because I'm dead. I'm yeah. dead on the table. What can I do? Okay, um, so productions. Then you've done lots of school ones, lots of amateur ones, yeah, some professional ones. Obviously, shows there then with budgets of of different levels. Mm. What would you say is the best and or worst costume that you've ever had to wear? Um, they're both fairly recent. I think I've, I've had many a many a good and bad costume in my time, and I will say Jude Fullerton is behind both of these. So for good and bad reasons, uh, <laughs> and shout out to her for the work that she does. It's incredible. But shall I say no? I, no, I'll tell you which ones they are. I was going to say I'll, I'll tell you the two costumes. You tell me which is worst and best. <laughs> but I you'd be able to work it out too quickly. The best one was one of the most recent ones in Hunchback. I had my kind of soldier gear on as Frederick. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, the soldier. But in the second act, I had the proper like metal breastplate Ooh. piece. Uh, it was far too heavy for me, uh, but it gave you that proper manly sort of. I grown out my beard, <laughs> and I was all yeah. very very firm stance soldier of the whatever period it's set in the seventeen hundreds. Yeah, know, something like, like yeah. olden time. Yeah, costume just yeah, really wonderful with my sword and everything like. Who doesn't want what? What boy doesn't want that kind of, you know, very feeling really butch? Yeah, and actually, I don't get to feel like that that way very often. So I made the most of it. And then, yeah, sorry, dude, but the worst uh, has to have been Humpty Dumpty for Shrek. Yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't hate the costume necessarily because I looked, I looked like Humpty Dumpty the egg, but I couldn't, couldn't dance in the thing, couldn't yeah. move in the thing. Um, I, w- I had a wig that kept for- popping off my head that was poking out of this hole of yeah. the egg all the time uh drove me insane i'd i worked i'm not i'm not a natural dancer i'd worked so hard on the choreography that perry o'day had set yeah i couldn't do any of it because my arms were just <laughs> out really far just your hands poking out and i could barely turn around in, in the count so i, I mean it, it would have been hilarious right yeah. this egg struggling to dance but uh for me i was like oh, i'd worked really hard on that that's me thinking that was a character choice <laughs> yeah i know I, and everyone just thought it was hilarious the way I, I was playing that off and i was like oh yeah it's intentional it's you know it's amazing how many costumes from Shrek come up as as the best and the worst. Yeah, I mean, obviously Jonathan and Ian had well the sweat man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were saying they were, they were their choice for for the best because they just looked amazing. Yes. but the sweat yeah. and the heat of them were were mm. horrendous. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, it was one of those shows. Okay, so this is one of our more interesting questions that we like to ask. This oh, is... the rest of them all boring, are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, this this one sort of changes things around a little bit. It, mm. it's, it's it gives some interesting answers sometimes. Actually, this is the gender swap question. So, if you could play a role of the opposite gender, what would it be? I've realised recently that I'm quite an angsty musical theatre kind of guy. Mm-hmm. It's probably still derived from my theat- uh, teenage days when I was, you know, burning all of these CDs. Proper emo. Uh, yeah, I was. I was proper emo. I did. I did a tap dance to Green Day once. I was that emo. Wow. Actually, that's a melding of emo and, and really quite high camp, actually. Um, but yeah, I had the eyeliner and everything. But um, no, the angsty contemporary musical theatre lover in me, uh, it's all about the last five years Yeah, yeah. by Jason Robert Brown. And, uh, I love the show. I did um, I did like an adaptation of it for my third year show. Mm. And um, I love all of the songs from it. I love Jason Robert Brown in general. But I, lo- I love the musical and I love Kathy's songs in the musical. Mm. I can never sing any of Kathy's songs as yeah. much as I try to in the shower. But um, Kathy in the last five years has got to be my choice. She's got some really powerfully emotional songs that every girl has tried to sing, you know, sadly in their bathroom. And so have I. It's still hurting. That's one of the still ones. hurting oh, is up there. Olivia O'Shea used to sing that song. And it's yeah. Like, oh, it's and I think it was either Olivia or Sam that introduced me to Jason Robert Brown. I think I went to see the Guild one yeah. year and one of them was singing maybe something from songs for a new world or from the last five years and i think i think hannah clinton sang it from in the guild this year recently she yeah. sang um it might have been still hurting uh just wonderful wonderful mm. part and i saw sam box do it when she did it at the other palace as oh, well wow. so yeah i would love to play that play that part if i was a woman so in the last five years it's, it's a great show because it tells the story of, of a love affair but from the, the the view of the man and of the woman but one tells it from the, the meeting them breaking up and the other one starts it from breaking up back to meeting so they're, they're telling the stories the opposite way around isn't it exactly yeah she starts the show kind of the with middle. them breaking up and he starts the show with them on their first date and yeah. then they cross over and meet in the middle where they get married and then go in the opposite direction so you yeah. know you start the show feeling really sorry for her because yeah. she's gone through such this horrible traumatic breakup and the guy must be such a 
horrible person for doing this to her and by yeah. the end of the show you've seen more of the guy's perspective as well and you're thinking oh it's more complicated than that yeah so it's it's just a really incredibly clever i think um storytelling technique that these use there and um i love it i love i think it's i think he's an incredible composer and some very very talented performers have done his songs and more and more should brilliant uh, now this is a new one so obviously there's been some really really good shows come out in the last sort of 10 15 years and is there a part in a show that has, has kind of passed you by it's a show a part that you would really love to play but you can't because you're now too old i mean yeah. for me it's dear evan hansen yeah but at 44 i'm far too old to be playing that <laughs> you know 16 year old high school student yeah what about you? I get that. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I'm in my thirties now, so I am I am conscious of getting on a little little bit more. <laughs> I don't. I will say I don't know too much about it. It's a fairly new show to me, but I've started listening to some of the music from it, and it's incredible. It's called Epic. Right. It's called Epic the Musical, and it's the it's basically a staging of the Odyssey or the Iliad or the Odyssey or however you want to put it. Um, so it's the story of Troy, Troy saga back back in ancient greek times mm-hmm. and it's the story of odysseus yeah um and the cyclops um and the guy who plays odysseus must be, starts the show he must be like 17 18 this very skinny young attractive greek demigod practically yeah. um high tenor type of part yeah um that i do not have the energy for do not have the notes for and would not get away with playing that type of character yeah <laughs> now <laughs> in my 30s um but it's a very very new musical it's incredible it's very like electro funk it's very very hamilton vibey right. as well entirely sung through um and not just age-wise but i just wouldn't have the stamina for it <laughs> these days anymore so yeah definitely epic the musical and playing odysseus oh just making a note of that one i'll have look it up one, one to check yeah. out yeah okay so um just coming to the end of things now then we've got our spotify playlist mm. now this came out about just after the first lockdown and i thought here's an idea about putting together the ultimate musical theatre playlist. Yeah. So Neil King and I, when we first set it up, we each put 10 songs in. And these are songs that are either songs that we've performed, they've come from shows that we've been in, or they just mean something special to us. Every person that's come on the podcast since has added a song to the playlist. Mm. Some of those choices we've got, Nikki Openshaw chose You Will Be Found from Dear Evan Hansen. Michelle Kane chose For Good from Wicked. Mm. Uh, Sue Tumman on the not last episode, but the one before that. Yeah. She chose All That Matters from Finding Neverland. Lovely. And Jordan McCormick chose Wouldn't It Be Lovely from My Fair Lady. Nice. So there's a nice, I mean, there's a nice mix there now. Mm. I mean, we're looking over, we're almost at 70 songs there on that, that playlist. So it's about four hours worth of music. So it's quite... Oh, this is my jam, you know. this All of my like playlists on my on my Spotify is this kind of vibe. Yeah. I love anything that introduces you to new shows. It's getting quite eclectic now because there, there's a real sort of good mix of, of old stuff. Probably golden new... age type yeah. stuff, yeah. And, and some really new stuff in there as mm. well. Like uh, Natalie Nixon, she chose a song called Immaculate Deception from a show called 35mm. Yeah, I heard of that. Yeah. But, um, so Peter, what is your choice and, and what is your reason for adding? So hopefully this will uh, do some reminiscing for you fairly recently as well, but I am going to choose Learning to Let Go from Elegies. Oh, oh yeah. So um, we were um, going to do Elegies together, weren't we? Mm. And um, Elegies was on in November last year with Lisa Kreisky and uh, Chrissy Sutcliffe um, from Stage Door Ends. And um, I played Doug, and this was the finale song that I sang 
really powerful show. It's about kind of the the AIDS pandemic, mm. the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s. So it's a story of people's lives who were affected, whether that's young gay men who died from AIDS or other people in the community who died from AIDS. It wasn't just men um, or people whose lives were affected. So I played one of the singers who 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 hadn't died from AIDS, but all of his friends had. And um, his partner had recently died. And um, the song Learning to Let Go comes at the end of the show uh, where you've seen quite a hard watch you know a lot of yeah. traumatic experiences of these people's lives and i guess this this song is the sort of acceptance of that mm-hmm. and the fact that although these people's lives were rendered tragically they still mattered yeah. and they're still remembered in, in the people they've carried on and it was a really really important show for me as a queer person to be involved in i sang it at, at isle of pride right, yes it was my first big singing part in a show you know i've done a lot of ensemble roles but this was my first proper you stand there and, and sing and uh i like to think it was quite moving uh for those that watched it was moving for me and it's just a beautiful not hugely known musical and that song is touching and moving but also has a bit of a vibe yeah. at the end of it, it gets you up and clapping and and celebrating yeah you know, I, I wanted to be up and joining in far earlier than i should have been yes yeah <laughs> we did have a bit of that so and i think that's great you know if you've got some kind of heavy heavy source material here um to have something that gives a positive message at the end of it i think it's really lovely. it does yeah so yeah. yeah learning to let go from elegies for angels punks and raging queens brilliant Right, well, we'll get that added into the list. Nice. Peter, thank you very much for, for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, and we wish you and everyone at uh, Kensington Arts all the very best with all your upcoming productions. Thank you. And I'm sure we'll have you back at some time in the future to tell us about your other things you've got Yes, no doubt. Brilliant. Well, Peter, thank you very much. Cheers. You're listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Don't forget, at Peel Centenary Centre from the 2nd to the 4th of March, the Legion players, in their 19th year, present A Bunch of Amateurs by Ian Hislop and Nick Newman. The play tells the story of fading American Hollywood action hero Jefferson Steele, who arrives in England, desperate to boost his flagging career. His plan? To play the iconic King Lear at Stratford. However, he should have checked the map, because this Stratford is not the birthplace of the Bard, but a sleepy village in Suffolk. The cast are a bunch of amateurs trying to save their theatre from developers. When monstrous ego, vanity and insecurity collide with enthusiastic Amdram thespians, it's bound to be pure drama. Tickets are available from etickets.im forward slash cc or from Celtic Gold in Michael Street and Peel. As Peter said there before, at Kensington Arts, on the 17th and 18th of March, there are two performances of their Innocent Creatures, which is their National Theatre Connections performance for this year. We also have the Everybody's Talking About Jamie teen edition from the 20th to the 22nd of April. And in the summer, it's Disney's Frozen Junior from the 27th to the 29th of July. Well, with that, we bring episode 43 to a close. Thanks once again to Peter for joining me on the podcast and telling us all about the upcoming events at Kensington Arts. You can keep us up to date with events at Kensington Arts by following them on social media or by visiting their website, kensingtonarts.im, where you can book tickets and join their mailing list. Now remember to like and follow our social media pages to get notifications of upcoming episodes and events. Don't forget to check out our Spotify playlist by searching for Manx Theatre Podcast, and that's all one word. There's almost 70 tracks and nearly five hours of show tunes there to satisfy your musical theatre needs. If you have any events that you'd like us to talk about or promote on a future episode, you can contact us through our social media accounts or by email to manxtheatrepodcast at gmail.com. All that remains is to say thanks for listening, and I hope you join me again next time. I've been Neil Callan, and you've been listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Goodbye. The Manx Theatre Podcast, taking a look behind the scenes of Manx Theatre.
an actor's life for me.